Yo, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of the Double Down Podcast with me, your host, Ben Basunga, where I make ridiculous sports takes, and if anyone tries to challenge me, I double down. And if you have any problems with that, send them out, and I will address why you are wrong on air. I'd love it. So we're going to get started as usual. We're going to jump right into it, as usual, where we always start the shield. Why? Because we support 501c3's nonprofit organizations, and the Shield is the biggest one in the world. Super Bowl Sunday, that is today. It's about 1.30 p.m. The game is a couple hours away. Very excited to see the game. It's one of the few Super Bowls where the pundits are kind of a little bit, mostly they usually pick one team or another, um, but this one's about 50-50, about 56% of the ESPN's 76 panel of experts chose the Rams. 43% chose the Bengals. That doesn't equal 100%. I'm not sure about ESPN's math, but we're going with it, all right? I'm assuming there's probably some percentages that no one cared about. But regardless, needless to say, there's I can see this going both ways. And last week, I picked the Rams to win 24-21. But I see Joey Burrow in his ice Joey B chain with his swagged out fur coat and Jamar Chase talking trash, the young bucks full of swag. I'm like, just maybe, just maybe they might be able to pull off the upset. But I'm still choosing with my pick of the Rams. I think their experience of being there before and a coach that's been there before is really going to help. I think being there when you're first there the first time, you have to answer a lot of questions, a lot of media day, and it takes away. But Jamar Chase and Jalen Ramsey, that's going to be a battle that we're looking for. Odell Beckham Jr. versus Eli Apple, that's going to be a battle one-on-one that I'm really excited to see. And then how can the Bengals' offensive line hold up against Aaron Donald, the best quarterback rush in the league? That guy's a monster. I don't even know how they fit him in one human body, but that dude gets on the field and gets double teamed and it doesn't even matter. And then my boy Von Miller, shout out to what he did in Denver. We still love you, Von. I know you're not a Bronco, but hey, you're a Bronco for life for all I'm concerned. You won an MVP in the Super Bowl. Shout out to you, Von. So I hope he gets another one, man. But that being said, the Bengals have been pulling miracle, so I would not be surprised to see him win. But I'm still going with the Rams. I think it's the right decision. I think their quietness leading up to this, and I think Matt Stafford is going to come through in the clutch, just proving for the last time that Detroit is the problem. Now, last week on the podcast, we talked about Brian Flores' lawsuit suing the NFL, and I mentioned that it's a terrible idea to play this game with the NFL because this is their power. This is where they may not catch a touchdown pass or throw whatever, But those dudes will juke you up in the courtroom. They'll cross you up. They got the best law teams around. And sure enough, a couple of things are now kind of happening as this lawsuit plays out. You're starting to see the NFL do a lot more moves for diversity. They're they're leaning on their partnership with Jay-Z. You have Eminem, Dr. Dre, and Kendrick Lamar doing the halftime show of the night. First of all, that's a great halftime show. I'm going to be up in the G-Funk era, you know, getting my Seawalk on with Snoop and the gang. It's going to be a great time. That being said, 
they're also now what they're doing. Um, they're looking for the Denver Broncos just went up for sale. The owner, previous owner, Pat Bolin, he passed away. His family couldn't decide who was going to be the the owner of the team because it has to be one individual as a majority owner. The kids didn't want to give it up, you know, like the TV show Succession. You got money on the line. They're like, they're like, forget that. No one's, if you're not getting it, if I'm not getting it, you're not getting it. So they're selling the team. Expected sales north of $4 billion. Not too bad for a team that was bought for a couple million in the 80s. <laughs> Man, you did good. That's an investment and a come-up of the century. So the team is for sale. A lot of people are rumored to be involved with it. But the two most prominent names, um, surprisingly, they're both black. Not surprisingly at all. The NFL's like, this is our chance. Just so happens to be that a team comes for sale. And the NFL, what do they do? They send their secret weapon, their $40 million lap dog, Roger Goodell, to go do their dirty work. I would say I don't feel bad for Roger Goodell, but if there is a man in the NFL who earns every penny of the $40 million he makes, it is Roger Goodell. Why? Because when we talk about the NFL and all its problems, we talk about the owners. Who are the owners? You don't even know these guys. You don't know their names. You don't know their Twitters. You don't know their social media accounts. Nobody knows these people. They just sit in the shadows as the owners. They're a group that sits in a dark room, probably smoking cigars and eating caviar, probably touching some girls inappropriately. I don't know what they do up there, but they've been in some trouble. I'm not going to assume. I'm just going from the evidence. Whatever they're doing, nobody knows who they are. But who we do know is Roger Goodell. We see his face all the time. Anytime there's a problem... We go to Roger for comment. Anytime the Ogers do something, Roger, go fix this. Roger, Roger. Man, they be calling that Roger on speed dial. And Roger just takes it. Roger just just taking it. One of the things that Roger's tasked with doing right now, uh, he's trying to get a black owner in the NFL. So, not going to lie. There's, there's, not many, there's not many people, many black people out there with NFL owner money. Like, that is a very small list of black folks with NFL owner money. Uh, the top of that list, Robert Smith. You may remember him. A couple years back, he paid this. He paid all of the student loans um, for all the students at the graduating class of Morehouse for paltry $34 million. You know, that was his graduation gift to that class, which I wish my, I wish my senior speaker in college would have gave us a better gift now that I think about it. But yeah, so that's the guy. He's very well off. Roger Goodell has been wooing him. They've, that's the word they used, wooing. I am shocked. I'm not shocked, honestly. I don't think if this hap- I don't think if this uh, lawsuit doesn't happen that this that they go about doing this. But they are trying very hard to get this because the last thing the NFL wants is to one smudge the shield, but two ever go to law, ever go to the court of law and have information discovered. So they're going to do all they can to avoid it, like getting a black owner, which is a good start. I don't believe it'll change much to have one black owner that you can now silence his opinion, but he's there, so he makes it happen. But hey, that's what they're going for. But it's also, in the long run, it proves exactly what we said, what I said earlier, the NFL. It's all about perception. So now they're getting black owners, they're getting black people in GM offices and management, and they're doing this. And I appreciate what they're doing in terms of actually making some moves. But we all know it's not 
about the actual diversity. They just want to protect the shield. It's the same thing they always do. They come up, they make all these acts. It never really equals anything, but everybody shuts up for a while and they go about their lives. And then they come back and they're like, Roger, go fix this. And Roger's like, dog, I need a raise. So, hey, Roger, you get your money. Um, but the NFL doing what they do. Um, and I will say, one of the things I have noticed about this class action lawsuit is very little involvement from white owners and white coaches and other people that were involved, which is very telling of the way that this lawsuit's going to go. I'm, I doubt it's going to be anything other than settled outside of court, but their silence speaks volumes because they know there's no way Brian Flores gets another job in this league. And the people that are jumping in and jumping on board, you end up being like the Colin Kaepernick. You are the martyr that happens with this. So if it took Brian Flores' career to die to give black other black coaches a chance, uh, good on you, black Brian Flores, if that was your chance. But if you were planning to come back to the league, the writing is on the wall. You're not. And uh, the, the other people that are involved that in the white coaches, that they may know something and they aren't saying anything, that says enough. Your silence does speak volumes. And I can't blame you. Ryan Flores did this on his own. He made a choice. It is not your job to come up and defend him and be a part of that. Like, you got a family to feed and eat, too. I get it. But this is the world we live in. And for Brian Flores, you did your thing. I hope it works out well. But the NFL, their PR machine is handling this smoothly. And um, and getting a black owner is just going to be the the cherry on top to really, really bolster their case, and they are working very hard to do that. So we'll see how that plays out. I will keep you posted on the happenings there. Uh, the other black owner, if you were interested, uh, Byron Allen, former used to be a comic. He's in the doc. He's in the he's in the uh, comedy store documentary, but he's also uh, he owns the Weather Channel. But his name has also been mentioned. Another black guy, which is crazy to think the NFL's like top leading candidates to purchase an NFL team. Two black guys. 2022 is a strange time, but I'm here for it. So that's where we are with the NFL. End of the season, not much. But we move on to my favorite part, my favorite league, the association, the NBA. Trade deadline just passed. Big news, Ben Simmons. We're about to get a Ben Simmons sighting, everybody. I don't know if he was hiding it out in Australia in the outback with the kangaroos but nobody's heard from that dude he has been a ghost not on social media you hear sightings of him he's like bigfoot they just i saw ben simmons at a gym in brooklyn i saw ben simmons in Philadelphia. nobody knows he's just popping up places apparently according to the word on the street was anywhere that he was he's still in good shape from all intents and purposes you can't be in nba shape but you can at least be in play like getting ready so you're only a couple of weeks away from being able to step on the floor um, but apparently when he'd see people or someone would post about where he was, he'd have to disappear. One guy posted a story that showed Ben Simmons in the background, a guy with 3000 followers and Ben Simmons was like, ah, can't work out there anymore. So glad to see Ben Simmons getting back on an NBA court. James Harden wanted to leave Brooklyn. He goes to Philadelphia. He reunites with Daryl Morey. I think he on court partnership with Joel Embiid can work. I've never seen a trade of this magnitude magnitude where it's win-win for pretty much all the parties involved no one really took an L on this I mean if you look at it James Harden won out of Brooklyn he got out of Brooklyn he went to a good team he's reunited with Daryl Morey he's got the powers that he wanted and he's got a good team what else could he have asked for he got it Ben Simmons wanted out of Philadelphia so bad he gave up 19 million dollars in fines he paid for not playing this season just so he would not play 19 million dollars 
Man, I would have showed up to every game in a uniform. I would have thrown the ball to the other team for $19 million. No problem. I would have showed up and sucked terribly. For, I would have sucked so bad they didn't want to play me. But for $19 million? No, I'm showing up. I'll bring my cell phone on the court. I'll be tweeting at girls during the game. I don't care. For $19 million? Nah, I'm not missing a game. Not a single one. $368,000 for every practice miss. Crazy. But... He got his wishes. He is now going to the Brooklyn Nets, where he's playing alongside Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and he brought Steph, Seth Curry, uh, the lesser known of the Curry brothers, and Andre Drummond with him, as well as two draft picks for Brooklyn. On the court fit, Ben, ben Simmons could not, could not have asked for a better situation. You imagine if the Nets, and this is a big if, are at full strength. You have Kyrie Irving. Joe Harris, one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Seth Curry, another one of the best three-point shooters in the league. You have Kevin Durant, one of the best scorers, best shooters, best players of all time. Now, and then you have Ben Simmons. All of those four guys can do the one thing that Ben Simmons cannot do. They are all great shooters. So now what does Ben Simmons have to do? All he has to do is he can play off the ball. He can run in transition. He can be a basket cutter, rim runner, screen and roller, small post-up things. This is the perfect situation for Ben Simmons to hide the one flaw in his game that people continue to harp on. They need defense. He allows them more switchability. He grabs rebounds. Everything they're missing on paper, this is a great fit. Now Ben just has to come out and produce, and I'm very excited to see what he's been working on this whole time. Is he going to come out and start pulling up, or is he still going to be afraid to shoot? Is he going to still be able to make free throws? Last I checked, he was shooting numbers that Shaq would be embarrassed about. And that says a lot for a 6'9", 6'10", point guard with all the tools and all the handle. So I'm very excited to see. Now he has no more excuses. You, you want it out of Philly? You got it. You're in a great position. Put up or shut up. Now is the time. And... Guys, and then there's a bunch of auxiliary guys too. Paul Millsap, he played in Denver. Big fan of Paul Millsap. He wanted out of Brooklyn for playing time. Now he goes to a 76ers team without any bigs behind Embiid after Drummond goes to Brooklyn in the trade. So now they're going to have more space for him. On paper, this works out. But games and real life does not work on paper. Kyrie Irving can only play 50% of the games unless the vaccine mandate's changed. And that's the reason that drove James Harden out in the first place. That's going to be hard to overcome when you're trying to mesh with a new team. Kevin Durant's health. Is he going to come back? How is he going to be when he comes back? And what's his time frame and meshing with ben, with ben Simmons? A lot of questions asked. Ben Simmons hasn't played professional basketball in the NBA in, what, Eight months of real time. The season starts in what? No, October, early November. So he hasn't played for at least three or four months this season. So a lot of questions. On paper, it sounds good. Who do I think will go further? If, and this, it all of it depends on health. With all the health and safety protocols, who's on the court? But I do think Brooklyn is a better team in this trade. They got some really good pieces for now in the future. So well done, Brooklyn. And Philadelphia, you got what you wanted as well. So no, now it's time for everybody. No more excuses. Put up or shut up. And we're going to find out if Ben Simmons is who we thought he was or if he is somebody else. And I'm very excited to see how that plays out in real life. 
moving on. My boy, LeBron James. Last night, they played the Golden State Warriors, and LeBron was on. He was killing it. For three quarters, the man played basketball like we know he can. Nobody expected the Lakers to win this game, but somehow, with three minutes left, the Lakers are up by six, despite a one-for-ten fourth quarter shooting LeBron. But again, little mistakes, giving up offensive rebounds, because when you give up offensive rebounds, the Warriors will kill you. And they did. Klay Thompson hits a three. They take the lead. LeBron James, seconds left, 2.4 seconds left on the clock, gets fouled. You're down by three. You get fouled, and you're shooting free, three free throws. You're LeBron James, the best player, arguably the, one of the best, the best player of all time. The one thing that stays consistent in the NBA game from the time you're a child to the time you're playing in the league is the free throw. The distance is exactly the same for every league. You're going to miss the first free throw, LeBron. We can't even blame that on Russ. That's on you. Free throws. It's free. That's You make those three, you go to overtime, you have a chance to win. Your team's already, you're on a three-game losing streak. You're four games under 500. You need this win. And you're going to miss the free throws. I love LBJ, but that free throw shooting, that free throw shooting, see, that situation has always been a bugaboo for him. And again, comes back to bite him. And this team, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. I really don't. And if they do make the playoffs and they're going to eight or nine seed, if they play Phoenix or Golden State or even Memphis at this point, they will get ran through in the first round, no problem. And we only have about two or three more seasons tops of LeBron James. I say three because what happens three years from now? His son, Bronny James, is going to be eligible to play in the league, which how cool would that be if you're a father to play in the NBA with your son? Because it doesn't even seem like that's possible considering how long LeBron's been in the league. It makes zero sense. But if you're Bronny James, how cool would that be to get personal lessons with one of the greatest basketball players of all time your rookie season? Um, Big shoes to fill, especially when you're LeBron James Jr., that's the thing about naming your kid Junior. Like, your dad's 6'9", 250, born like a walking refrigerator. Bronny James, very athletic, but he's about 6'3", 6'4", maybe. The expectations that you have, maybe, I mean, he is a young kid. He's only a junior in high school, hits a growth spur. Maybe he hits 6'5", 6'6", great high for him. I'm, I hope the kid, I mean, the kid from all, he's top 40 in ESPN. But those expectations of being... Your father, like being somebody that great, expectations, they're, they're hard. That's why you notice any of the great athletes, their kids, not really that good. What great, like an all-time great player has had a child that was even half or as close to as good as they were? Some have had players that made it to the league or kids that made it to the league, but mostly it seems to be the better the father was, the worse the kids are. Or if the parent played in the league but wasn't very good, then the kids seem to be a lot better. Hence, like, Dal Curry. Um, he, was, he was in the league. He was fine. But Seth and Steph, much better. Michael Cooper. I mean, uh, Michael Thompson. Good player in the league. Klay Thompson, much better. So you kind of start seeing that. I think that's just the way it goes. Jelly Bean Bryant is another one. RIP to the late, great Kobe Bryant. So I do I think that Bron, it's going to be good for Bronny James? 
I don't know if it's going to be good for him, but I do think it'd be very interesting to see how LeBron and James is playing three years from now and to see him playing with his son. I think that'd be a great storyline and keep the band in the media like he's always been. But speaking about expectations, I did not expect the winter, winter, (laughs) the winter Olympics to still be going. Did not see it. I actually caught one of the events. Uh, People were skiing on flat ground and then out of nowhere, pull the rifle out of their back and just pop, pop, pop like five shots. And I did not see that coming. I don't know what what Olympic sports just allow people to just ski and carry a rifle, but I know that they're not letting black folks do this sport. (laughs) Like, how did this, who, where is, who is this for? Who's out there skiing? Like, let me take these quick shots and target practice and back on skiing. And why are you skiing on flat ground? None of this seems very practical at all. And I don't get it. But that's the Winter Olympics. Somebody just made up like, yeah, dude, we, uh, it's cold. Uh, we need to find a way to give gold medals to someone that's not fast. And the Winter Olympics was born. Uh, so I, I don't know what these sports are. But some interesting things that did happen. Uh, one of the things I, I found very interesting is there are two American-born Chinese, uh, American-born Chinese heritage athletes that participated for China in the Olympics to two very opposite results. There is another third-born uh, Chinese heritage um, Olympic athlete, but he, he participated for the United States, and we'll get to him in a moment. The reason why I want to bring this up is because there was one woman named Eileen Gu. She's 18. She's going to Stanford, straight A's, plays the piano, born in the United States, speaks fluent Mandarin with a Beijing accent. And lo and behold, she goes out there and she wins gold. The Chinese people love her. They're like, take that, America. We beat you again. We make all your products. We make all your best everything, even this Olympic gold medalist. And they were very, very big fans of her. Um, And the other woman, her name is Zhu Yi. Her father moved back to China to be a professor at the university. And there's very stark differences in, in her performance. She went back to perform in China. Um, and people were mad that she got the spot. They didn't like her because she doesn't speak as fluent Mandarin. And she chose to rather do English instead of ruining the language. And they held that against her. And they talked all sorts of trash. And lo and behold, she fell. In two separate events, she crumbled under the expectations and that pressure. And it's a lot. And she's not the first one. We saw it happen um, with Simone Biles. We've seen it happen with a lot of other athletes. These expectations, these pressures, they're hard. And especially in a country like China with a billion people, that's three times, that's three and a half times as many haters as you have out here. Like you have, in the U.S., we have so many things that people are focused on. So you have like a small group of haters that are going to watch this. People are going to come to your fence. In China, the whole country is watching. And all of those haters are going to be coming to you. That's a lot more pressure. Of course you would succumb to that. Any normal person would. And no love. And it's the, 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 the contrast between how she has been treated and accepted versus how Eileen Gu has been treated and accepted it brings to light just the differences that people have. I think one of the major differences, the the ironic part, is that Eileen Gu, for all intents and purposes, looks almost American. Versus Zhu Yi um, has an Asian-sounding name and looks a lot less American, but still is not as accepted by the Chinese people. 
which I wonder how much that has to do with Chinese views on, Vice did a great story about Chinese views on white people and how it's kind of like a celebrity status for that. But to have somebody that looks white but claims China and wins, yeah, she went there right now. She might take over the country. She might just be so. And then uh, Zhu Yi, somebody check on her. We know what happens when you don't do well in China. We saw the tennis player that called out uh, the assault. No one's seen her since. This woman didn't win. Let's cross our fingers and hope she stays. The other athlete, Nathan Chen, congratulations to you for winning a gold medal in figure skating for the United States. I, Yeah, I mean, go out there, ski, shoot your guns. Apparently that's fun out there. I don't get it. But which leads me to one of the topics I've been meaning to bring up for a little while now. We're talking about women in sports. And especially sports that guys play. Like every time we talk about basketball in a girl session, you can play every guy. I can take her. Watching the WNBA, like I'd beat, I'd destroy these girls. I know you're not talking about Caitlin Clark. And if you don't know who Caitlin Clark is, she is a sophomore from the University of Iowa. And this girl is a bucket. She is making it rain. And I'm not talking about this girl is crossing half court. Pulling up with hands in her face, stopping on a dime full speed ahead. I some of the shots she's hit, there is there's not ten guys in the NBA that can hit this shot like consistently she can. I if you put her up <coughs> if you put her in a shooting contest with ninety, dare I say ninety-five percent of NBA players, she will beat them. I don't think I don't think 90, 90% of guys and NBA players can shoot as well as Caitlin Clark can from distance, off the handle, off the catch and shoot. She's shooting shots that Steph Curry would blush at. She is pulling up, and I respect her for that. She is the deepest shooting college, and I am very impressed. Kevin Durant's always, like, impressed. He follows her career. You, If you see her play and you're, you're thinking, she would make you cry. Any guy, if you're not like an NBA, if you're not like one of the best players in the league right now, she will embarrass you in front of all your friends. You'll get laughed at. She will cross you up, break you down, and pull in your face. And I'm here for it. She is a bucket. And shout out to girl hoopers. Uh, girls dunking the basketball as well. Fran Belibi out of Colorado. Girls are, girls are bringing a game. Show a little bit more love to the WNBA and the college women's players. Some of them got handles. Jada Williams is another one coming up. Paige Beckers. Just a lot of ballers out there. But Kaylin Clark, she's the one. That girl is a bucket. She is a she shoots from distance with hands. Just impressive. And any dude out there that's like, oh, I can beat these girls. No, you can't. I play basketball. I'm pretty good. She would make me cry I, at home. She'd, I wouldn't even want these problems. I'm like, yeah, I'm giving her the ball. It's, and it's very rare that I say that because I think my skills are pretty good. But she is on another level, and it is impressive to watch. So if you get a chance to see her play, you will be pleasantly surprised. Shout out to Caitlin Clark for doing her thing. A couple final points here as we finish up. Last week, the, we talked about the UFC. Israel Adesanya fighting Robert Whitaker, a rematch title defense they fought before. I has I had Izzy winning that fight, and he did come through. He really picked Whitaker apart. It wasn't he didn't finish him. They went five rounds, but it was a unanimous decision. After interesting part after the fight, Michael Chandler, another UFC fighter known as a warrior, he's the one of those guys when you talk about UFC and you see all the violence and you see the blood, he's that guy. That dude, if he's fighting and he's not bleeding from the face with 14 broken bones in his skull, he doesn't think he fought. 
And he, he kind of chimed in and was like, Izzy, it's not a dominating performance. He wants to see a little violence and anger. What? I get it, Michael. That's your thing. Not everybody wants to sit in there and, and get punched to brain damage until they can't think. That's your thing. And, and that's cool. But not everybody has to win like that. Israel Alessandra, I don't blame him. If I can win a fight just sticking, moving, and throwing some jabs, why am I going to stand there and take shots that are going to make me forget my name and how to be able to tie my own shoes in 10 years? It makes no sense. I get where you're coming from, but not everybody needs to be a warrior like that. Shout out to Izzy. Keep winning. He is ahead of the field, and until somebody can beat him on that term, hey, that's best, best to him. Surprise of the night, Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis is the knockout artist. Most knockouts in heavyweight history in UFC. Derek Lewis has been losing some fights, but his one punch can change any fight. So it was very surprising to see Derek Lewis being on the opposite end of a fight he was dominating. He was winning. He was taking them down. He was connecting. And out of the blue, Tuivasa, an elbow to the face, put Derek Lewis, one of the scariest human beings, to sleep. You ever seen a grown man that's 6'5", 270 pounds, fall like a tree yelling timber? He went down. Somebody should have put that, make that a Katy Perry meme in the background. I'm going down. He bounced off the ground and everything. He was asleep. I've never seen that. That was a shock of the century. I want to see a rematch because Derek Lewis normally does that to people, and it was a shocker to see somebody do that to him. So... Derek Lewis, I hope you're well. In your hometown of Houston, by the way. Imagine in front of all your friends, you got knocked out. <laughs> you got knocked out like Debo in Friday. <laughs> Just You got knocked out. Remember all those internet trolls and haters we were talking about? They have arrived. Sitting there crip walking on your grave as, you, as you've fallen asleep on the map. But Derek Lewis, very funny guy. I hope he comes back. I'd love to see a rematch, but that was the shock of the night. Minor detail, uh, Joe Rogan wasn't there. There's, uh, apparently, uh, ESPN had him pulled, they said, for conflict or scheduling issues, but according to Dana White and others, there were no scheduling issues. Apparently, the word on the street is they're trying to keep him a little bit off air while the little, the, the, the complications and the drama regarding his videos that surfaced off air, they're just trying to keep his face out for a while, which makes sense. Uh, my only thing about Joe Rogan is this video was made in 2012. It's been like 10 years. Nobody cared for 10 years, and now you're trying to use it. Like you, If you really would have cared and you've been using it for the right reasons, that would have been 10 years ago. But now, now it's the time. Very suspicious. But word on the street is Rogan will be back. We'll see how that plays out. I will keep you posted. And my favorite part of every episode, we've come to that time. The NBA is a crazy place with crazy people, and I love telling some of these stories that are lesser known. My favorite, we go back to the 1990s with a name that you may have heard or may not have heard in this context, Latrell Sprewell. Latrell Sprewell, for those of y'all who don't know, was an NBA basketball player drafted to the Golden State Warriors in the 90s. He played for them in uh, 93, I believe, when he first got drafted. He was a good player, made a couple of all-star teams. But this isn't about that. This is about the time that Latrell Sprewell in 1997 was at practice, and he threw a pass, and his coach told him, and I quote, put a little mustard on that pass, because it was, which is a very, a very coach thing to say, make a crisper pass. That's your job as a coach. It's a very coach thing. Sprewell was not having that. He said, coach, stay away from me. I'm not in the mood for criticism. 
Well, Coach a little bit perturbed and confused. He's trying to keep his team in line. Went over there as he was then choked and dragged backwards by his neck by Latrell Sprewell for 7 to 10 seconds before players and coaches came to the coach's aid. Needless to say, Sprewell was sent to the showers immediately. But that's not where the story ends. Sprewell showered, came back 20 minutes later, and then rocked his coach in, in the glancing blow to the face of his coach. All because he told them to make a better pass. The crazy part is the team saw this and were like, okay, we'll suspend you for 10 days. <laughs> 10 days suspension. You choked. Your, could you imagine if you went to work, you choked your boss and then came back 20 minutes later and punched him? I, you probably, I know for sure you wouldn't have a job. You might be, you might have a jail cell waiting with your name on it. That is assault. That is a crime. But in the NBA, that is a 10 day suspension. Why? Because your coach makes maybe one, two, three million dollars in a year. Latrell Sprewell's on a three or twenty million dollar deal. What is a better investment for the team? The coach that you're spending a couple million on or the player that you're spending seven plus million on? So that's how he can get away. Obviously, no good deed goes unpunished. The NBA found out. They ended up suspending him for the rest of the season without pay. And he couldn't he didn't play again for almost two years. But all that aside, he came back and he was signed to the Knicks immediately eligible. He went right to the Knicks and he competed even in an NBA Finals, which he almost won. That's that's the way that it goes when you have talent. They're willing to look past you choking and punching your coach and doing all of that just because you have talent. But the Latrell Sprewell story does not stop there. A lot of other people know Sprees for his spinning rims. How did that come about? A company in California wanted to get more attention on a spinning rim product they had made. They got Latrell Sprewell to show up, put some on his car, and got to show it off in the TV show Cribs. All of a sudden, everyone started hitting sprees, uh, started hitting Latrell Sprewell up for to get his sprees, and everyone just called them sprees. The company that made them was very perturbed. They were got all the attention away, but it doesn't stop there for this guy Latrell Sprewell, which is. They Not only that, but Dada Supreme was like, hey, you're the guy that makes spinning rims. He's not, but he was getting all the attention for it. They're like, we'd love to make a shoe with your spinning rims on the shoe. And that's how we became with the Latrell Sprewell shoes with the spinners on them that were very big in the early 2000s. And Latrell Sprewell famously then shortly thereafter turned down a $21 million contract because he believed he was not being paid enough. And then he retired and shortly after went broke. You can't make this stuff up. But now he's back on his feet and doing well. So shout out to Latrell Sprewell and uh, more stories about random NBA things. But that's a good one. And I just think it's crazy that you can punch a coach and still have a job and get shoes made after a product that you didn't even invent but got all the credit for. This man has lived a life, and I'm very intrigued. Look up some more information about Latrell Sprewell. But more importantly, thank you for watching and tuning in to the Double Down Podcast. Like and subscribe. Check out other The Lonely Man's other podcasts and my comedy. Guys, I've been Ben Basunga. Thank you all for tuning in. Feel free to reach out with any comments, questions, concerns, or you think I'm too ridiculous, and I will double down and tell you why you're wrong. I've been Ben Basunga. Y'all have a great day. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Peace.